Welcome to the Persisters Can podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Lubowitz. Today's certified persister is Andrea Ledwell. Andrea was born on Prince Edward Island and came to politics after building up decades of graphic design experience in the private sector. She put her talents to political use for the first time during Kathleen Wynne's successful party leadership campaign and was tapped to serve as the creative director for the Ontario Liberal Caucus in the Legislative Assembly. She played a critical role designing campaign literature for the party as a volunteer during the 2014, 2018, and 2022 elections. Andrea joins us today to talk about how she got involved in politics, what it takes to be a partisan graphic designer, and how we can encourage more women to get involved in civic life. Welcome, Andrea. Thanks for joining us. Well, hello. Glad to be here. (laughs) All right. So we're going to launch into this. Uh, uh, I'm wondering if you can maybe start with where you grew up, because it's uh, not from around here, as they say. No, it's not. I am from the East Coast, and I was born and raised in Charlottetown, the capital of Prince Edward Island. So when you were growing up, um, you went to the University of PEI, you got your BA in music and political science, which is an interesting combo and also something I considered myself at school. So that's kind of funny. Uh, Then you came to Ontario for cultural studies at Trent University. So that's sort of how you came by this way. Um, You began your career in communications, primarily as a designer, but you've also done quite a bit of writing and advising. And you mostly worked in Toronto during that time, but also did a stint in Nunavut, which I've always found very, very interesting. Can you talk a little bit about your career before politics? Well, I've had a really eclectic career, that's for sure. And um, I I think even starting with my bachelor degree and I kind of jumped around and one of my professors said to me, you know, um, you really should consider interdisciplinary studies for graduate school because I was so all over the map. And that's what led me to Trent University, which I did go to um, after a year in in London, where I worked as a tea lady and in banking. So (laughs) that was uh, an interesting transition to go from banking in London to Peterborough and Peter Robinson College, which was a very left-wing college at an already kind of left-wing university. So, and I was studying a very interdisciplinary graduate program called um, Methodologies for the Study of Western History and Culture, which was a real mouthful. (laughs) So I, that did, that was my first time in living in Ontario, but I did end up going back to PEI and my dad was sick and my mom had some health issues. So I ended up moving back to the island. And as so often happens with young people pursuing graduate degrees, I kind of lost the momentum of my graduate studies a little bit. So, and then I ended up working in more of a administrative office management position on PEI in the agricultural business. So that was a real pivot as well. And then when I was doing that job, I realized, boy, this is not very creative. I really want to be doing something a bit more creative. So that led me into um, college and studying visual communications. And I was around 30 years old at that time. So it was kind of a, a long track to get me into that that field. And it was after that that I moved to Toronto. And um, 
for the first six or seven years, I worked in the music industry, which was a nice little combination of my skills and interests. And, but unfortunately, it was the early 2000s. And as you probably know, the whole music industry was undergoing a big shift too. And so the company I worked with, um, our major client was HMV, but we also worked with all the major labels and with all the other music retailers as well. And so it was busy, but then the the CD business was declining and right. the recording, it was, everything was changing. And um, so, but that was really interesting. You know, I, it was a good introduction to working in the design field in Toronto. It was a, a medium sized studio. They had a background in typesetting. And so I really appreciated the, the interest in and appreciation for typesetting and fonts. And I became mm -hmm. a very, um, very good production worker. And I, we had to turn around so much stuff so quickly that I got really, really, really good at that. Um, but, you know, I got also got a little bored with that. And then I moved into an editing job with another design agency where I wasn't doing any design work at all. I was, I was actually doing more writing and planning and I really enjoyed that. And that from there, I ended up in Nunavut for a couple of years. And that was all kind of funny because it was supposed to be a two month fill in <laughs> to help a friend who was uh, managing an agency uh, in Iqaluit. And I ended up staying for two years because <laughs> it was, uh, it was really enjoyable and interesting work. So that's, and then I came back to Toronto and I ended up in another writing job and I was doing curriculum <laughs> development in <laughs> for a, an online training website. So, and that was the, that was my last job I had before, kind of before I ended up at Queens Park. It makes sense to me, obviously I've known you for a while at this point, but just given your, as you say, eclectic <laughs> journey over that time, um, it makes sense to me through all those experiences why you did well at your your job in <laughs> politics, uh, because all those skills were clearly needed um, to do that, especially the turning around things quickly. Um, right. So your your job in politics that you did is uh, with the Liberal Caucus Service Bureau, and you made the transition from freelancer to head of design for the caucus of a governing political party. How did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, when I was working in my writing job, doing the curriculum work, we were, we were doing a lot of work with Northern Ontario and with Indigenous communities. And around that time, Kathleen Wynne was the, um, she was the minister of, I, what was it called at the time? Probably called Aboriginal Affairs or, yeah, I think um, so. yeah. So I, I hadn't been active in Ontario politics at all. I grew up being very political, but um, I think, I don't know if I ever told you this, that I grew up in a kind of a conservative family. And so yeah. it was really hard on PEI because in the seventies, you know, if your dad was conservative, it was just assumed that your whole family would be conservative. And right. I was kind of painted with this blue brush. I would go to, um, I remember going to a liberal convention when I was, I was, I had some friends that were working for the party and a family friend came up to me and said, what are you doing here? You can't be here. <laughs> so, I was some kind of spy. <laughs> so I always, was always interested. And I think I, in my heart of hearts, I identified mostly as a, as a liberal, but I never really thought that there was any room for me to be involved in Ontario politics because I also assumed like, oh, well, they all have their people. They're all 
lifelong liberals, you know, and I'm an outsider and I'm not even from Ontario. So, but I, when I came across Kathleen Wynne's name in some of the research I was doing for my writing job, I thought, wow, this person sounds really interesting. And I had always thought, you know, I was kind of uninspired by uh, the pol politicians of the day and wasn't really feeling that, like, really wishing that there was somebody that I could really get behind and support. And so when I heard that she was running for the leadership, I was... I thought, oh my gosh, I, I need to I need to get involved. And um, I knew uh, her chief of staff just socially from my time working in, I used to be involved in Canadian student politics. So I had a group of friends in Ontario that were politically active. And so I contacted her and said, you know, I, I'm a designer, I'd be happy to do anything to help out the campaign and just let me know. And so, you know, I think within a couple of days I was, on the phones at the leadership campaign office. And there I was in, <laughs> involved. And I was still kind of naive enough to think, oh, well, they have all their people and nobody's really that interested in someone like me. So it was really funny after the leadership was over, I said to one of the organizers, I said, you know, I'd really like to get involved in the in the party. Do you think that's possible? And, <laughs> and so I didn't realize that writing associations were you know desperate for new yeah. blood <laughs> and, and yep. so the next thing i know like within i think within a month somebody was asking me if i would be a writing president <laughs> so <laughs> really kind of a funny had i known i would have gotten involved many years sooner but around the same time um the person that i had been in touch with uh for the leadership campaign volunteer position I, I realized too, like I wanna be more involved in this government and I've always been interested in politics and I've always been interested in in that whole, like that, that whole political environment has always been really intriguing to me since I was a little girl and my brother worked on Parliament Hill and we went to visit and it was life-changing and I just mm -hmm. had always wanted to explore that. And um, I thought, you know, there's no harm and I was doing, working, freelance and I thought there's no harm in seeing if there are any any opportunities so I contacted um, I contacted her and got my name in the ring but you know I never would have imagined in a million years that there was a job for a designer at in that in that uh, environment I mm -hmm. it never dawned on me that there would be a job for a graphic designer who was going to be managing for the, the all the the print and and all the design work for for the caucus like it just i wouldn't i never thought of it I, and uh so it was really amazing and coincidental that the person who had my job um my predecessor had decided to move on and so they contacted me and said if, asked if i was interested in the position and i been applying for the position i should say and i it was just like my dream job you know it had everything i was as you said, I mean, all my experience leading up to that, it was really written into what the job posting was. So I was very excited at the chance to apply for it. And fortunately, I, I did. I won the job and, and started in November of 2013. I think not. I think politics is, is one of those interesting worlds where 
very few other environments, if you just put up your hand and say, I would like to do something, do you then get, you know, shuttered into whatever space to go do that thing. And politics mm -hmm. is one of those places, we always think of it in an old, an old boys club, which it is. Um, but there's also this weird environment where you're just able to, you know, just suddenly start up and do something, which I don't think is true in almost any other environment. And it's an interesting place to be. Yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, it's a weird combination of the old boys network still being there. And as we know, and maybe it exists in a lot of other organizations where there's a lot of kind of people that like to have important roles, but not really do any of the work. <laughs> and then you have the, uh, the, the worker bees. And, um, and the, the thing with a job like mine is that it's very specific and, you know, so you can't have, yes. you know, somebody's, somebody's young nephew who just kind of is looking for a gig kind of step into the role unless they actually have the, the proper skills for it. Yes. And so yeah. it is a very, it was a very unique job. And I mean, there are other jobs like the photographer was a very specific job that you had mm -hmm. to kind of be trained to do that work. It couldn't just, couldn't just float into it and fill the space. That's a, that's something I want to follow up on because, you know, this is this is we're talking about you know 2013 14 sort of period here and you know today there's programs like canva where you can just go dump some files in and you know move some stuff here and there but what i think is lost in that is some of the knowledge and skills that come with graphic design training and you know i'm a, i'm somebody who focuses on things like white space and stuff like that i'm mm -hmm. you know i'm i'm not a graphic designer myself but i understand some of these principles and why they need to be there and sometimes when you just say well you you know any old intern this, it's the new social media right when 10 right. years ago when social media was introduced to campaigns it was okay make the intern do it um forgetting that like this is the public facing way that people are engaging with your candidate or your campaign and it's kind of important to get it right and you know you want somebody who understands the messaging behind it and all that kind of things i think graphic design is in that place now in campaigns where they think where people at the top kind of think they don't understand the technology or the skill sets behind these roles and they figure anyone can do it um yeah but the product is not always quality in that case and I'm wondering if you can talk about some of the skills that you need to be a graphic designer for a political party or a caucus. Right. Um, yeah, it's interesting. The thing about graphic design is that, yeah, anybody can kind of get their hands in and do it, but there's a lot of um, subtle elements to it that when it's mm -hmm. done badly, you're really aware of it, but actually when it's done really well, you don't even really know, or you don't yeah. really, aren't really aware of why it's done so well, because, you know, there's this, elementary design principle that has the acronym CRAP, I think, and it's all about the, the rules of design being, you know, repetition, consistency, um, uh, alignment, and uh, proportion, I guess. And it really is about uh, clarity, providing clarity and organizing information in a way that's easy to consume. And so when you think about it, especially with political literature because you always is it that you talk about how you need like between the time that they get it in the mail and throw it in the recycling bin you have right. to grab their attention so right. you really need to have understanding of graphic design principles of how to organize information within a space that people can actually kind of read it really quickly and so a lot of people don't think clearly <laughs> graphically and they they probably have a lot of information to present and they just think, well, we just got to get it in there and just fit it in there. And often, 
you know, they'll say, well, just make it bigger and bolder and uh, underline everything, or it's all about the colors. And all those things are all kind of true, but it's really about the balance and about um, kind of mm-hmm. taking those principles and making a, a piece of lit or any um, document kind of organized in a way that when you pick it up, that you don't have to, your brain doesn't have to go through too many steps to understand what it is that you're looking at. And I, like, I see it, I'll get something in the mail and you're looking at it and you can't under figure out like, what's the message here? Like, what are they, who are the people that are doing this? What are they trying to tell me? And it, it can be very confusing because they have like too many kinds of fonts and too many, too much information all at once and not a hierarchy of information. And that's something that I see a lot of people not really understanding. And of course there's the whole less is more principle, which because you need like people visually need a little breather in order to understand that they're reading discrete pieces of information. And so when, you know, when campaigns, when a candidate, they really feel like they have to tell all the elements of their story, but then, you know, it's all crammed into this little space and it's like, well, then nobody's going to read it because they can't really get their head around it because it's too, too confusing. Like it's just, noise you know so it's better to kind of give people some space so that they can actually see what it is that they're reading right so you know i know i know we've had this this conversation about you know 50 words or less on a piece of literature that you send to somebody's door um and graphic design you know I'm a writer. I'm the person who has written those words on those lit pieces in multiple campaigns now. Um, but they're generally meaningless without the visual that you put behind it. And I think about, you know, our friends in tour who are the people who run the events that a leader will go to. And I think about uh, something somebody told me once, which was the tour announcement that your leader at the podium or whatever the visual is, you should understand exactly what they're talking about with the sound off when you're in the chair at the dentist. So regardless of what the speechwriter has written, which I've also done that role, regardless of what any of the words might be and what the plan was, like maybe have a podium sign, but people should understand exactly what you mean without the words. And I think graphic design is sort of the same principle. You were talking about the walk from, you know, the door to the recycle bin. Like people need to be able to grasp exactly what you're talking about in that time. You can't have complex uh, ideas. Uh, you can't have a ton of words on it, which sort of brings me to your day-to-day work <laughs> at mm-hmm. uh, what we call LCSB, the Liberal Caucus Service Bureau, where you were in charge of the design team uh, who you know, was responsible for serving caucus. And what that means in sort of the day-to-day approach is you know, making the newsletters that you might get from your local MPP, making, I don't know what other products there were, but can you talk about sort of what oh. the day-to-day looked like how your team was sort of formulated and then, you know, other departments that you might've engaged with. Cause I know you worked with the photographer quite a bit. You might've worked with the translators quite a bit. There's a, there's a whole team there. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. And you know, it, one needs to point out too, that it was constantly changing as well. And as you know, and, and um, as you know, but maybe other people don't know that there's always, a, there was always a big turnaround in staff. So the kind of relationships and the kind of, even the organizational structure of LCSB was constantly shifting. And it had to change sometimes too, according to where we were at. Like when I started in 2013, the writ was always sort of on the horizon. <laughs> so it was always, exactly. that was always there. And I kind of walked into my job in that 
it with because it was a minority a minority legislature at the time so mm -hmm. you had to be ready for an election to drop at any time any time yes yeah any time and so i didn't really know anything about all of how that all worked and so it was interesting and especially to come in start working in november before the christmas break and and then right. Especially when we came back in January, there was like definitely a feeling of an election looming in the air. So that changed how people, how the members and how everybody was approaching what they were doing. And there was also a shift because there was a new leader, relatively new leader. And so there was a lot of new people and people that were leaving. So there was a lot of changing happening just as I was starting there too. So, um, but then after when we came back with the majority and in 2014 there was definitely like a real effort to kind of streamline a bunch of things at lcsb and make it a really more um tightly organized um uh organization and what we did and i think the whole point of lcsb is almost like a let's pull resources so you have, mm -hmm. you have 50 members in caucus they all get a budget to spend on all sorts of things, pull the resources together and have everyone working out of one office so that you're not repeating, so that every right. member of caucus doesn't need to have a designer on contract or doesn't need to have a tech person and, and a research bureau because there was all those components under the whole uh, Liberal Caucus Service Bureau. And so, so we were kind of like the um, in-house design agency for the members and so that was that's a big client base to have let me tell you and then <laughs> and then on top of that though you know we did internal products so if there was especially around budget time there would be say, an yeah. effort to come out with materials for that or um or things like um the i'm sorry the international plowing Match. match. Yeah. That was a big deal. So there was a lot of products for that. So things for caucus as a whole. Another really, really big part of our job that you might not know as much about was the um, uh, cultural outreach. And so we did huge right, yes. with the cultural outreach team. So that was kind of it varied. It was based in the premier's office when I first started working there. And then we actually had people on within the LCSB office on site. And so there was a lot of um, work. They they did a lot of caucus ad purchases in um, right. various newspapers. So, say for um, um, let me think of an event. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm thinking about things like you know like Tamil Heritage Month. There's all the heritage months that get passed. Um, and yes. I'm thinking I'm thinking about it, you know as we go back to the Canva conversation just fonts in different languages like if you're trying to put something in urdu or you've i know you know professionally you've just done something in anuktitut there's all these languages that are very difficult and you really have to understand how to use them and lay them out and, and what they actually look like and, and do those translations and and you know that's a big part of your work you know on that cultural side that you were just talking about right that was really um a very challenging part of it too it's funny because i was saying the other day that working in anuktitut is a dream compared to some of the fonts and and uh languages that i had to work with in at at queen's park because it was um especially the right to left reading languages and right. there's a lot of and it was often um like i think adobe wasn't really supporting urdu and and there's all sorts of different 
glitches that can come up. And, and there's also a lot of um, different dialects of some of the languages too. And right. so the, the Adobe system. Traditional and, Chinese. Yeah. And, and Adobe's, you know, we're working with Adobe and it is a, I don't know, I guess they're an American corporation and, you know, it's, they're very specific about things. And, and so it was hard sometimes to kind of get to, to, to make sure that we were doing things right. And that was the other thing. I mean, to be a graphic designer at an agency, like you're usually working with people who are, um, you know, you work with the copywriters and you work with, you work with people that are also trained in your skill set. And so there's all sorts of like troubleshooting that can happen within your own agency. But, you know, we were the designers and we had to have a lot of, um, you had to be really uh, engaged with the material that you were working with and sensitive to the material that you were working with because, you know, we, we were in a high profile outcome. And so you can't mess up that stuff. And, you know, people in the community would get upset if they would get something in the mail that had their language um, with something incorrect in it. And um, I know that there was like somebody had purchased a piece of artwork from a stock site that had a wheel of seasonal greetings in various languages. I remember that one. Yep. <laughs> and every year it was this whole nightmare because there were so many errors in it because it was a piece of art that nobody had really kind of, you'd have to send it around to, a lot it, of yeah. to check and nobody had thought to do that. And so there was a lot of mistakes made and a lot of people that got upset and, you know, you don't need those little minor inconveniences and you don't need those errors because they should be, you just should be really careful not to let stuff like that out the door. So you have to be a little bit wise to what you're dealing with when you're working with such material. Important. I've always found, you know, designers like you and, and your, your editing history has always been helpful for this is that you're really the last line of defense on a lit piece. I, I remember a very specific piece that I did for uh, a minister I was working for, and it was talking about hospital wait times. And I spelt wait times like body weight. <laughs> and it's just one of those one of those words that you just slip in accidentally because they, they read the same, they sound the same, um, but they are different words with different meanings. And we didn't notice until I was walking around with that piece. And I was with the minister at the time, so I took full you know blame for that and we laughed about it. But but it's those small little things can happen. But to your point, especially when it's in a different language, like it can be offensive, it cannot be taken very well. And it's so important to have uh, you know, designers and other folks involved who are really paying attention to the materials, as you said, because it's not just, you know, typically design is, okay, you gave me the thing, here's the exact reproduction of what you've asked for. Um, but you always went to that extra step of making sure <laughs> we're not making any kind of huge blunders in those materials, because it has, you know, a real impact on, on the other side. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk about, you know, for young designers out there, what were sort of the tools of the trade that you use? I know you've worked on uh, Apple computers, I think, and you're, you've spoken already about Adobe, but perhaps you can talk about some of the programs that you used. Well, we worked with Adobe. When I first started working there, we were all on PCs and there was some problem. Oh, that, you know, <laughs> I know it, was, you can't, it can be done. The software is adaptable, but, you know, if you're any creative will kind of roll their eyes and say, please don't make me do that. And um, we did get Macs eventually. And uh, yeah. um, so we worked with the Adobe Creative Suite. So we were mostly working with just the 
InDesign and Photoshop and Illustrator, which is sort of like the, the traditional trio. And uh, we, we did have to do some PowerPoint and the, you know, designers, if you ask them to design something, but to do it in a, in a Word document, it, yes. it makes us really sad. It really does. It's a, a sad day. But, you know, we we were professionals and we wanted to, we had to accommodate the needs of our, our clients. And so, you know, we did, we were able to do that. You know, people would want to have their own letterhead that they could write in their word docs. So we were able to set stuff right. like that yeah. up and sometimes it just had to be done. And, and, you know, PowerPoint is just, you have to, you have to do it. So. So we've, we've talked a little bit now about your work on sort of the caucus um, legislative side. Um, I want to talk now about, you know, 2014, that was a real change of pace because we had the election. Um, you were chosen as sort of the volunteer design team lead during that period, which as we talked about, it was a little uncertain when it was going to happen. Um, yeah. I'm trying to remember. I think that campaign started in, you know, beginning of May. Uh, when we got to the campaign office, there was no internet, which is problematic for design uh, when you're trying to download fonts and things like that. Um, but can you talk about what that looked like? There's a whole slew of products that you have to put together when you're the design team for a campaign. What does that look like? Yeah, that was, um, I mean, we really started thinking about that, all of that stuff. I mean, it was being thought about because that campaign was very organized and very well thought out in advance. The organizers wanted to be ready to go whenever the button got pushed. So they were, we were working well ahead of time thinking about this stuff. It was a very organized campaign because they even did a, a sort of like test run leaders tour. Um, yeah. I seem to recall, like after those by-elections, they did a leaders tour with like, you know, let's put them all on a bus and go somewhere. Um, so it was a very organized campaign. Oh, it was. I didn't even know how organized it was till I had experience. <laughs> so, but um, it was it was uh, it was a lot of work because it was you know volunteer time in addition to your your job, and so it was. Uh, there was a lot of um, work preparing literature, which um, multiple lit pieces, and then you know as you would know, but others might not know. There might be, um, they call it the, I guess it's the air campaign. And so there would be advertising that was being developed and then they'd want the literature to reflect the ad campaign as well. And so that was always kind of being um, worked on. And, and there were budget, there was a budget that came out. And so, you know, then there's also um, political cards that you want to do that are related to that. I feel like we spent a lot of time doing lit drops at transit transit yeah. sites that winter and so we were doing all of that um as volunteers as well like creating the lit pieces for those that were always kind of done at the last minute and as a designer you have to think not just about turning around the the piece of literature it may not take very long to put together say a double-sided postcard but when you're working with a massive campaign team that is very concerned about making sure that the messaging is right there's a lot of back and forth and it takes a long time for anything to get finalized so it was everything took 
quite a while to get produced in a very short period of time. So there was, um, you had to be very on the ball because the designers were the really the, the ones that were most concerned about making sure that things got turned around in time because most people don't ever think about the turnaround time and getting something printed and shipped and you know they just think well once i've signed off on it then it should be ready to go but you know you have to deal with printers and and they're not you know printers don't necessarily have time allotted to print three thousand cards for you to be able to distribute to people in time for a lit drop so that was, you know, that's a big part of what we do as designers. And I'd have to say that a lot of my job in both LCSB work and campaign work is really about managing, managing expectations and, and project management and ensuring that people have um, sufficient timelines or um, that they have realistic timelines to get things done. And uh, so that was, that was a really big part of, of the campaign work. But there's also things like making, um, well, the bus wraps we subcontracted to my predecessor who had done it before, and she's she became kind of like the bus wrap woman for <laughs> for the liberals, and uh, but we had to do um, backdrops for the leadership uh, for the you know for the leaders tour. But then there's also the, the what do they call it the secondary tour? So there's all the materials for that auxiliary tour auxiliary tour, yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, just making sure that like there was all sorts of little bits and pieces that weren't necessarily designed, but things that had to get printed. So you designers are the ones that know how to get things printed. So we were always the ones that were being approached with to, you know, like to help people get maps and charts and things like that printed. So there was a lot of that. And, and, uh, and then the big things are the, the campaign um, lawn signs, um, door knockers, and those are the ones that, uh, you know, they're a big print production pieces and, you know, the campaign signs don't, you know, they're not, they're not that hard to do, but when you have a hundred and hundred, how many, how many people were there? In that? I want to say it was at that time, I think it was over a right. hundred, let's say. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and because there had been a rebrand, the party had had a rebrand after Kathleen Wynne became leader, so everything had yep. to be redone, and and then there was like new thought. It was very funny because in 2014, um, the people that I was working with, uh, everybody was a bit obsessed with the Obama campaign, and so yes. <laughs> I always knew that like if if Obama had whatever Obama had done, I knew that somebody was going to come up to me and say, well, look at this, you know, yes. let's make this. And so the Obama campaign had made extra large door knockers. So we were going to be experimenting with extra large door knockers. So it was, uh, you know, you learn about door knockers and, uh, and then the printing of those, which is also really interesting because you know, when I've worked in, I've worked in a print shop and I've worked in the North where getting things printed was pretty complicated, right. but with working in an entire, like a whole province, you know, you have to think about how people are going to get things printed. And it's easy to say, well, I live in downtown Toronto. There's a million and one print shops and they could probably yeah. turn around pretty quickly because they probably operate 24 hours a day. But you know, if you go to a smaller region, like if you're up North and, 
it's not necessarily the case. So you have to accommodate those people. It's only fair. Exactly. And it, and it obviously depends too on quantities. You know, if you're, if you're doing an issue card, which is a, you know, sort of postcard sized item that focus on a specific policy, that's not too involved. If you're doing a card that requires you like a door knocker, which is the card that you put on someone's door on the voting day. And it says like, here's your polling location and you have to print those for you know all your supporters across the entire riding and it has to say the correct polling location for yes. each of those cards there's a whole mail merging process that goes through the print shop that you know can take a week or two and so you know having that done well in advance is kind of important so you know when you were talking about your sort of air traffic control role of just project managing people expectations and materials it's incredibly crucial in a period that's what four or five weeks long essentially, um, when you're actually putting these things out. So it's really difficult. So that election, we won. Yay. Uh, what a great time. So we ended up winning a majority government. Uh, Kathleen Wynne was elected for another term, and you continued on in your role at LCSB uh, for four years, uh, leading up into the 2018 election. I'm wondering if you can talk about sort of like, what are you most proud of during that time in terms of what you got to work on, what you got to deliver, or even just, you know, what the government was doing in general? Um, well, I'm proud of a lot of things. I think the biggest one is the team that we created. Yeah. And I, when I first started working, I had, I, I inherited some, some people and, um, and they were, you know, good people, but not necessarily that experienced designers. Like one was junior and, and another didn't have a lot of like practical design skills, great people. But after the election, I was able to kind of build a new team and it was, um, and it worked really well. And it was, I think I'm proud of that, that we worked so well together and with along, we have a print shop and, probably a lot of people wouldn't know that because <laughs> I certainly would never have known that, that there was a print shop that that was also part of my job responsibility. And I can't believe I didn't mention it, but that was, I had to oversee <laughs> that. And, and there was a person who ran it um, and she had been there for many years. And that was a lot of, that was a lot of responsibility because that equipment was old and it was always breaking down and it always broke down at the worst times when something was a rush. And it's true. It did. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and it was it always did and it just as a team like we we kind of worked we did a lot of it was really hard i'd have to say it was one of my biggest challenges was managing a team i had never done it before and you have it's one thing to be i have a I can be a bit of a workaholic and I have a certain work style, but you can't impose that on other people and you have to be respectful of, you know, their lives and their boundaries. And, and, and so learning how to do that, um, I don't know how well I did it, but I, at least I can say that we, we parted friends, you know, <laughs> it didn't end badly <laughs> and they stayed on with me till the very end. And, uh, and so, and we had some laughs. <laughs> so I was, I was proud of that. And I was proud of the work that we did together and, and how we output an incredible, just an incredible amount of work on a monthly basis. And I don't know that anyone ever really knew how much work we were doing. It was because people live in where we're working in silos. And so it's not like 
each member would realize how much we were doing for the other members. And we didn't work for every single MPP, but we were also, you know, we were working for internal stuff and, and the premier's office and cultural outreach. And so it was an enormous amount of work to be done and we did it. And I don't think we ever, not that I, you know, maybe I don't know, but (laughs) we never really messed up anything and we met pretty much everything, every demand we met, unless we really, really couldn't, but we would have told people ahead of time, like, this is not, this is not manageable. So I'm really proud of that. We made things clean and consistent and we didn't have any major gaffes that made the news (laughs) that, that I'm aware of. So I'm pretty proud of that. Which of course is, you know, the first rule of political staff, do not become the story. So I think you yeah. guys <laughs> succeeded on that front. Um, so again, fast forwarding to the next election. So it was 2018, you were in the same role in that campaign. I think at this point, there was a lot more, you call them sh- shareable social media content that uh, is designed and put up in that campaign, because it, that campaign was one of the first times where, I don't know if the budget for TV ads was the same as social media. TV ads are very expensive, so I assume it was still more, but there was definitely a shift in focus. So you guys uh, were doing a lot of that work. You were doing the same literature work as normal. Um, And unfortunately, despite all of your hard work, we ended up losing that election. And the consequence of that was for the first time, the Liberal Party did not achieve party status, uh, which is when you have enough seats in the legislature to warrant having a service bureau to support your your caucus members. Um, normally working in LCSB, the service bureau, I've always advised people ahead of an election, do not leave that office because you, are, you tend to be the ones voluntold into more campaign positions, which means you get more face time with people at the top of the party. But also if we lose an election, you generally have a secure job um, in, in most cases, like it tends to be if we lose government, LCSB shrinks. But in this case, it was bottomed out completely. Um, there was no funding for it. And so you were you and your colleagues were out of a job. Um, I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about that experience and transitioning back to self-employment afterwards, which as a designer, you might have had a bit more of a direct route to self-employment than, say, some other folks. Yeah, it was it was pretty um yeah, we were aware that we were likely going to be losing the election. I don't think at the design team, we were all kind of, we weren't very, we weren't making any assumptions about anything, but we figured no matter what, we'd be downsized and we didn't know to what extent. So we were all kind of going into it feeling a bit blue about the prospects. And, but to lose the whole party status meant that all the things that had been built up for so long, they were just gone. Like I, it will always remain a very surreal experience for me going back to the office after the election and, and just having seen everything just being thrown out. And yeah. I think the print shop was just probably mothballed. I, I don't think, I don't know. Uh, I know that they were doing major renovations to Whitney block. So I'm not exactly sure what happened, but it just all the all the equipment, all everything just got thrown out, and I that to me was so well. I'm a pack rat, so <laughs> it went against <laughs> my nature to see that. But it was also all that work, and then it just means nothing. Like and then it's just gone, and uh, it was I couldn't believe it, and that there'd be no legacy 
you know, assuming that someday they're going to come back and there was nothing, it's all gone. So that was kind of shocking to see how it all happened so quickly that it's, it was just over. And, you know, there were a lot of emotions. So people weren't really even dealing with how they felt because it was more like, well, we just have to get out of here. And um, yeah, because we had kind of a, it wasn't like, oh, take your time. You know, you poor things. It was like, get out <laughs> you just want the space get the hell out yeah, yeah i think we're in measuring the windows to put up the curtains like right away it was really yeah <laughs> it was not nice but um so that was hard and i you know i was the the manager for my team and so i had a lot of concern about my my team who are all younger people and who i had brought in and they weren't necessarily people that had come as party loyalists, like I had brought them in right. to work at Queens Park, so I had a, I felt a lot of responsibility for their well-being. But they're both like the two designers; they're super talented and way more talented than me. And so I knew that they would be fine. And I also knew that, you know, I was saying during the campaign, like you're just you're going to get a better job because you know you have <laughs> had this job, and so you're going to get an even better job after this. So it's I think really a promotion, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was, so I was very concerned about them and, and, and for um, the woman who ran the print shop and, and uh, I mean, it, like just to make sure that everybody was okay. So um, that was, that was a hard time. And, um, and I was really, I think um, as we all were, I'm pretty sure like I was really burnt out. <laughs> yes. I, I also didn't realize like how burnt out I was just from the year leading up to a campaign, not just the campaign itself, but the, just the year and the work that we had done. And it just took a long time just to kind of recover from that. And I, even the thought of actually, you know, people would say to me, oh, you should get a job right away. Like, don't waste any time. And I, I just, no. <laughs> doing design work is very physically grueling work. And you know, I'm, I was turning 50 and I, and I, it was starting to take a, a toll on me physically to be able to do that. So the, the thought of going to another job that was as demanding, because that's all I could imagine is that, it, you know, it would be the same pace. I wasn't sure if I physically was up for it or if I wanted to do that. And as you know, from my previous history, I have a tendency to pivot a lot and I had never really stayed at any job that long so I wasn't wasn't sure at, at first that I even wanted to do graphic design anymore but uh and so it took me a long time to figure out what my what's next is and I kind of still am <laughs> trying to figure it out so I I still design because it it it's what I can do and, and I've been able to earn some money doing it. And, um, and I've been able to though, through a very supportive husband, I've been able to not have to work a ton and I've been able to kind of like help, like try to stay healthier and not be sitting for long hours doing design work, right. except on occasion. <laughs> so I think the the question of what what's next is always interesting, especially for political people, because it seems like I'm like you, like I I always want to do something new, which is why I turned to consulting myself after after that election, because I, I like the idea of starting something new and interesting all the time. Um, yeah. 
So, you know, our consulting work that, you know, you're doing freelance design, I'm doing consulting, led us back together again, right. <laughs> uh, just this year, um, in 2022, of a campaign, I think we both swore we wouldn't participate in, and then we did, because uh, that's what happens to people who work in politics. Uh, so we came back together to do lit, you know, one more time, have some fun, um, you designing me writing, and us just going back and forth very collaboratively, which is what I've always liked about that process. Uh, but this campaign was really different one we hadn't been in power for four years there was no lcsb there was you know we just we were involved still but we weren't involved in the same way we had been for years but also it was it took place during a pandemic which was a very different environment so normally a campaign headquarters has you know 100 150 people in it that wasn't the case this time i think they had maybe 30 um at olp headquarters um but you and i were both working on the campaign remotely um which can do a number on your email when you have these huge files coming back and forth. Um, but we did the process, you know, online where I would write content, you were designing, we would go back and forth through approvals um, with with the head people in the campaign. So I'm wondering if you can talk about how different it was campaigning in this remote pandemic sort of era and also some of the impacts like we had a paper shortage during this campaign um, and, yes. and, and, you know, the impact on timelines for that. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, it was delightful working. <laughs> it really was. And we've always worked really well together. And I also, I mean, it was so different on many levels, but it was also because I was working at home and also you were my gatekeeper. So I didn't have to deal with anything else, like hardly ever. It was just you, you dealing with all the all the noise and just giving me my job to do so it was really wonderful <laughs> well, and, and like i don't know if you can talk about the comparison for the previous campaigns like very few people get a, an office in a central campaign you're usually just like out in a pit together with a bunch of people and the designers you're in this little you know group and people are constantly coming up to you and being like can you actually prioritize this instead and you mm -hmm. have to make all these decisions and there's always someone in your ear so like it's a very different experience that we just had it's very, very different. And, you know, exactly. I described the 2014 campaign as being in a 30 day plane ride, <laughs> kind of like locked in place <laughs> with my two design designers on each side of me and definitely in an open space. Um, that campaign, that campaign was so, was, had a very specific org structure that was policed. Um, so people, right, yes couldn't as easily come up to us and assign work or if they did they'd kind of get yelled at and and so it was all very um <laughs> but you're still kind of out there in the open and so you still have people kind of coming over to say hey what are you doing that's cool and um you know but not necessarily in a sometimes it's nice just to have people interested in the work that you're doing so that that was nice yes. but um but it was very you know you're on the campaign site and so then in a way that was nice because you were part of the morning um the morning campaign um meeting, review yeah. and talk yeah the meetings and and you kind of were there in the room when you could kind of feel the energy especially nice when the campaign's going really well so that was a really positive experience <laughs> as grueling and as hard work as it was like that that was a long that was a long haul to be sitting and designing the 2018 campaign was the opposite in so, so many ways 
we were sitting in a room, but things weren't going well. So then you're also by osmosis, part of the negative feelings in the room or just that kind of despair or, oh, like people had kind of given up and were reading novels and that really had a powerful, like we're creative people. And so we have feelings. And so it really affected um, some of our ability to even focus or to do our work uh, effectively because, you know, it felt it felt bad. Like it really felt bad being in that environment. And all I wanted after that was over is I just dreamed of being able to go in a room and shut a door and be by myself because you're just out there in the open for 30 days. And it was also that campaign too was like, uh, it got to a certain point of, well, let's just throw anything at the wall and see if it sticks. And so we're there and we're like, everyone's kind of sandbox and so yeah you can't like you're constantly being kind of told like you have whiplash because somebody's saying no do this no do this and and then everyone's kind of frantically trying to come up with something that might work so it was really it wasn't very um it didn't feel very good <laughs> so this this time around it was very different uh in terms of just not being on site and having just doing the work with you, which was very satisfying because we were able to kind of do things really efficiently and quickly. Um, but uh, yeah, the, there was a lot of issues with um, the paper shortage being a problem. And, and I just think um, it, it, like maybe having the lines of communication can be difficult sometimes when like people didn't sure. seem to know about timelines. They hadn't really had anyone around to talk to them about what needed to be done and when it needed to be done. So there was certain parts of that campaign that ended up being quite unnecessarily frantic because because they hadn't really, they'd never asked the question before, like when, when do you think we'll need a door knocker to the printer? <laughs> so, and that was not as much about the pandemic as just the fact that there was no kind of legacy and there was nobody around that had kind of had experience with that from previous campaigns so but it was overall I much preferred um I much preferred working from home than being on the on the site it'll be interesting to see if if that becomes a legacy of this sort of campaign period but political people by nature are generally, you know, extroverted. I'm not one of those people. I don't think you're one of those people. But in a lot of in a lot of the roles in politics, like if you're not a writer or a designer, generally you're an extroverted person. You like to be out with other people. So I'm wondering if this, you know, will be maintained or if we'll, you know, have a campaign again where there's 130 people in the office. I had said to the campaign manager, like, you're going to save so much money on catering, <laughs> just not yeah. having to feed these people who are working on the yeah. campaign. So it's a big money saver. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if that's the legacy going forward. So the uh, 2022 election, again, uh, not a great result for the liberals. Uh, we ended up getting almost identically the same result as the previous election and again no lcsb uh coming back what i did like about the campaign and what i'm feeling very hopeful about is the number of new people who got involved in the campaign politics is very generational you'll have people who come in in a wave from you know there was a mcginty wave when he won in 2003 there was a win wave when she won in 2014 and i think there will be a new wave of folks who have seen 
two losses uh, to Doug Ford, who is, you know, doing some destructive things in the province and want to get involved and want to change, uh, you know, the direction our province is going in. So for, you know, as, as my last question here, what's your advice for those young folks getting involved, particularly young women, particularly young women who have, you know, design interest um, in terms of getting involved in politics and looking at this as, you know, a, a stop along their career ladder? What's your advice for them? Well, Unlike me, I think you shouldn't. You should assume that you're welcome to the table, <laughs> and and not um, think that there isn't a place for you. And for designers, um, are very popular amongst campaign teams and and necessary part of just the comms team for an elected any elected person. And so, I think I think. Um, it can be, uh, you know, for a young designer who might be interested in um, information and um, has any kind of political interest or just uh, public affairs in general, it can be a really great way of combining um, skill sets because, you know, you're getting to see and be part of the development of these this messaging and and content and so you learn a lot about how these things get formed and and this the process that that people go through i mean i learned so much about public affairs just from being in that setting and so it can be a great stepping stone and um people are really interested in in design it's always an interesting role to be a designer in-house for a non for any kind of organization because you're kind of an anomaly so it can be an interesting role to play that way and it's very i mean it's nice to have um, a job where you're not having to worry about billing people for your hours because that's that, that can be that takes up a lot of time or having to kind of track your time so you can actually throw yourself into projects and and can actually do some interesting work and you know as we've seen in in the U.S. with Hillary's campaign and and um, Obama and with um, you know, the Biden campaign had this whole gradient blend thing. Like there is a lot of uh, work that can be done that can have a powerful impact. And so there's some really good design work that can be done. And um, yeah, I think it's just uh, probably one of those areas of campaign work and of working in politics that people don't realize is an important component. And so wouldn't necessarily think that they could offer themselves up to 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 provide the services thank you for joining me today uh andrea this has been a great discussion i think it's going to be an interesting one for people to listen to just because it is so different than uh, your expectations about politics so thanks so much for joining me today oh thank you it was a real pleasure to talk to you Sisters Can Podcast is hosted and produced by Teresa Loopwoods. Our theme song, Trailblazer, was created by four-time Emmy-nominated composer Guillaume. And our logo was created by Canadian graphic designer Andrea Ledwell. Thanks for tuning in.